Good evening and welcome tonight's class uh, was dedicated by Rabbi Mayer and Mrs. Schmuckler. This is in honor of Mayer's grandfather's yard site, Reb Zalman Schmuckler's father, Mayer Eliezer Ben Reb Chaim Yehuda. May his neshama have the greatest aliyah to the highest and greatest heights. And may he channel lots and big brachas to uh, you, Mayor, and your family, um, and the extended to your parents, and the extended Schmuckler family. A lot, a lot of bracha. And for a wonderful, powerful, great new year, Ksivachsima Toiva, and a lot of, and Shana Toiva Mesuka. Wonderful year of great prosperity, Hatzlacha, in your holy work with your amazing school, and only, only, only good things. Um, another dedication tonight was by um, Rachel Krinsman, and this is in honor of her her um, mother's or grandmother's yard site, Esther Ettel. Bas Yehuda Leib Halevi, whose yard site is tonight, the 28th of, of um, Elul. This dedication is for the CD. She's dedicating the CD in honor of her grandmother. Now, uh, the CD is hopefully going to be gin being distributed before Rosh Hashanah. It will, hope, it will continue being distributed after Rosh Hashanah. The class tonight actually deals with um, elements of Rosh Hashanah and elements of Yom Kippur. So this will work next week as well. Okay, so thank you for the dedication. Hashem should bench you uh, with abundant blessings and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good things. Your grandmother's neshama to have an aliyah and a lot of brachas to you, and a sweet, blessed new year. And now um, we are about to begin uh, tonight's class. Um, so Rosh Hashanah is coming. Rosh Hashanah, we're excited. We're excited, and we know that the highlight of Rosh Hashanah is the sound of the shofar. We're excited to be hearing the shofar. And, um, but we know that our shofar that we're hearing today is but a limited version of the shofar. What do I mean by that? In Rosh Hashanah davening, we say, It will be on that day. We're going to blow with a big shofar. And the, the people that are lost, all those that are lost in the land of Ashur, which is Syria, so Ubo, they're going to come back. And those that were cast away in the land of Egypt, they too are going to come back. And they're going to bow down to God on a holy mountain in Jerusalem. This is the Pasuk. And we all know in davening we always say, Tika blow b'shofar with a shofar. But even there, when we're asking Hashem, because we know that the Moshiach era, the Messianic era, is going to be heralded in through the blast of a shofar. That's kind of going to be an announcement, a siren, for the entire world to know that from now on everything is changing. That awakening for all of humanity and all of the world, especially for the Jewish people, is going to come through a sound of a shofar. But in the Pasuk, and also in our prayer every day when we say, Teka, we ask Hashem, we're pleading, we're asking for that shofar. Um, 
you know, the holy Rebbe Yitzhak of Bardichev, I think it was him, it, it sounds like something, would say to God, he said, Ebishter, he said, in the Torah, you are very ambiguous. You're not clear. You're not open. You didn't even tell us explicitly that on the first day of the month of Tishrei, you should take a shofar and blow. It doesn't say that. You say, in one verse it says, a remembrance of blowing. Um, and, and, and there's no clear statement exactly what you should do. And yet, from the tiny little hint that you hint to us that you'd like to hear that sound, we produce for you for thousands of years, every single Rosh Hashanah, a hundred sounds on the first day and a hundred sounds on the second day. We are not so vague. We're not so ambiguous. We are very clear. We've been pleading for, to you for thousands of years. And all we're asking is for one blow, for one sound, and you can't give it to us. This was Reb Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev's complaint to Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. So as we go to Shul, and as we hear the shofar, there has to be a hole in our hearts, a deep hole in our heart. We're having a shofar, but we don't have that special shofar. And what is going to be when we're going to hear that special, what is special about that special shofar? So the Pasuk says, it's a shofar gadol. It's a large shofar. So really, the question is, how does that matter? What difference does it make if it's a small shofar or a large shofar? A shofar is a shofar. You know, I don't see in any shul or in any community that there should be dafka a hidur mitzvah, meaning to take a large shofar. Yes, there are those who have a custom, Jews that come from different Sephardic communities that have like really long shofars, larger shofars than the Ashkenazic community. But there's no halachic, we call a hidur mitzvah to have a large shofar. Actually, a shofar can be tiny. And one can fulfill the mitzvah of a shofar even with a tiny little shofar. The minimal size of a shofar is the size of a hand breath, of a tefach. That means the size of your five fingers. It has to be a little bit more than that that you can put your mouth on it and a little bit extending on the other side. That is the, that's, that, that's what a shofar needs. A shear of a shofar is, is a tefach. And that's a kosher shofar, not only a kosher shofar, it's a lechatchil And it's not even that the large shofar makes a larger sound, a louder sound. Actually, it, a large shofar makes a deep sound a small shofar usually makes a louder piercing cry. So why exactly are we waiting for a big shofar? Now we understand that the really great, great, great thing about the forthcoming shofar, the shofar that's going to be blown, is that God is blowing shofar. That's the idea. We blow shofar with our small shofar because we're small. God is big. So when God blows shofar, being that He is ginormous, so he blows with a ginormous shofar. What is Hashem going to take? A little tiny shofar? So that's why. But then the emphasis is not on the large shofar. The emphasis then is on the large blower. Like we know even today's days, that does make a difference who's blowing the shofar. Because I would always been accustomed by Hasidim that they would travel to the Rebbe for Rosh Hashanah. And in many Hasidic circles, the Rebbe himself would be the one that blew the shofar. Why? Because you want to have an Adam Gadol. You want to have a great person, a spiritual giant. 
to blow the shofar. And I was like, Hasidim have a have a vort, to have a teaching in which it says in that in after we blow shofar, we say Ashrei Ha'am, praised is the people, Yodei Terua, who know how to blow. We don't say Ashrei Ha'am, praised it, how fortunate is the nation. Tokei Terua. Shofar is not just about sounding off a bunch of sounds. Shofar, we're blowing something very, very deep. We're communicating with God from the deepest elements of our neshama. And we're reaching to the very essence core of God, of Hashem Himself. So therefore, we understand that it's Sadiq, who's very, very holy, who's living in a much deeper place all year long, when he blows the shofar, it has extra potency and extra power. And when we say when Mashiach will come, Hashem is going to blow with the shofar. So therefore, it's going to be... So the, so the great thing is that it's a great being blowing with the shofar. Not that it is a shofar gadol. Why do we emphasize teka blow b'shoifar gadol with a great shofar? Yitaka will be blown b'shoifar gadol with a great shofar. So to understand this, so we need to understand the significance of the big shofar over a regular shofar. And this is again not a just a hypothetical question. This is a this is a question, being that we are living right now, the closest we've ever been to redemption, the closest to the shofar gadol, but more so, we can already sense some of the, we can sense already the tremors of the redemption already within the world. So it's time for us to expect and to await, but we should know what we're expecting. What are we awaiting for? What kind of sound do we want to hear? What is that shofar gadol that we want to hear? Now the Pasuk continues. It says, once that shofar gadol is going to blow, Ashur, and those that were lost in the land of Syria, which is Ashur, are going to come back. And those that were cast away by Eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Egypt are going to come back. And here is the question. Obviously the Pasuk wants to emphasize what we call kibbutz galios, the return, the gathering of the exiles. If we're trying to emphasize the gathering of the exiles, Jews are cast were, were, were spread out across the entire world. The Gullahs, the, the, the Yidden throughout our exile, have been mamish scattered throughout the world. Like we say in our tefillah, the same tefillah for kibbutz Goliath in, in Shemona Esrei, Tekab Shofar Godel, blow with the great shofar. We say, Vosonnes, and make a miracle, or raise a banner, Lekabet Goliath, to gather in our exiles. And we say, May Araba Kanfoisa'aretz, from the four corners of the earth. We also say it in Ahavas Olam. We say, gather us. From the four corners of the earth. So, Syria and Egypt, they border the land of Israel. The Jews who are in Syria or the Jews who are in Egypt are not too far. If we're talking about the big great gathering of the shofar and the sound of the shofar is so powerful and it's going to create this magnetic pull and it's going to pull all the Jews from across the world, why emphasize only Egypt and Syria, which is implying that only the Jews who are kind of within a surrounding area next to Eretz Yisrael are coming back. So, obviously in the Torah everything is perfect. The other question is, when it refers to the Jews that have gotten lost, it uses different terms for the Jews in Syria and the Jews in Egypt. And the Jews of Syria, it says those that are lost in Syria. The Jews that are in Egypt, it says those that were cast, those that were cast away in Egypt. So what's the, what's the difference between being lost and being shoved? The word nidachem actually means they were shoved into Egypt. So what does that mean? 
And then it says they will all come and they will bow down to God. What is the significance of that bowing? And where will they bow down? On a holy mountain in Jerusalem. So I want to know, aside for the physical meaning of that, that's the holy mountain, that's the temple mount. Well, that's the place to be bowing down, I understand that. But why is there more a deeper meaning that it's saying that the Jews will come back and that's what they will do? I mean, I'm sure once Jews will come back, they will worship Hashem, we will be doing lots of things. We will pray, we will bring sacrifices. Why the emphasis that we will all bow down on a holy mountain in Jerusalem? So to understand all of this, we, we studied over here a discourse. For the long version, you can listen to about six hours of class from the last two Thursday nights. Here is the, wor- here is the short version in a nutshell of what we discussed and a very, 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 very powerful teaching from Rabbi Shneer Zalman of the Adi, the Holy Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, in which he gives us the deepest insights into all of this. To begin, um, we know it says that, you know, on Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of man, of Adam Arishon. Adam, Adam Arishon was created on Rosh Hashanah. The world was created on the 25th day of Elul. Today we are going into the fourth day of creation. Right, we're already going into the 28th of El, the fourth day of creation. And on the sixth day of creation, on Rosh Hashanah, is when Adam Arishon was created. Now, the sages tell us an interesting thing. The Gemara, I think, says this, that when Adam Arishon was laid, it's either Gemara or a Medrash. I didn't, have a, the, I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up, but I didn't look it up right before the class. But again, it's either a Gemara or a Medrash where it says that Adam Arishon, before he was woke up, before he was, came to himself, um, before he was, came alive. And he was still, he was, a, he, was, he was clay, in the clay state. And his soul, I guess, was beginning to enter. And he was kind of in this dreamlike state. He was in this twilight zone, in, this, in, this, in the semi-conscious. He was like in between consciousness and beyond consciousness. His soul was entering his body for the first time. So at this moment, before he opens up his eyes... He has a flash vision. And in that flash, all of history flashes in front of his eyes. Awesome. He sees all of the future, all of his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, all the descendants. He sees all of life. It's all of life is bottled up in his soul. And he sees everybody till the end of days. Every, and the Gemara says specifically, he saw every generation with its leaders the generation, and the tzaddikim, the leaders of the generation. And Hashem shows him, generation after generation, who the rabbis are, who the people are. There was a chassid, and um, he was a rabbi in a city in Russia, and he was a real chassidish yid. If anybody needs to know the term chassidic yid, doesn't only mean someone who subscribes to being a chassid. There's a special meaning when we say a chassidish yid. A chassidish yid, one of the, there's a couple of things that define a chassidish yid. But one of the most important features of a chassidish yid is that they don't take themselves seriously. That's a chassid. A chassid is a, is a bittle digger person. Don't, take, don't make much of themselves. Anyways, he said about himself as follows. Outside of his house, he always had a, 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 a puddle. A muddy puddle. It was in front of his house. And it was always, it was very uncomfortable. Very, uh, people, guests would come. Everybody would have to avoid stepping into this mud. Uh, this is where he lived. This is where he lived. Fine. Um, so, um, what, he, and he would say 
the reason you see that puddle outside, that murky, muddy puddle, and I guess in the after the winter it would get much worse. But he said, but it would never go away, even in the summer. He said, you see that puddle? You know why it's there? He said, you remember when Adam Rishon had that vision, and Hashem showed him every generation and its rabbis. So when he showed him this town, and he showed him who the rabbi is, Adam Rishon went, him? And Hashem said, yeah. He said, feh, and he spit. And from other Mauritians spit, this created this big mud puddle over here that's here all the time. So that's a Hasidic story, true story. Uh, but in any case, back to our vision that other Mauritian has. So he sees all the generations, and um, suddenly he sees this little baby, and it's a, he can tell that this is a very, very powerful neshama, but that this soul doesn't have any life. He sees the baby being born, He's supposed to be the leader of the generation, but then he doesn't make it past just a couple of days or just a couple of moments in the body. Very sad. So Adam Arishan turns to Hashem and says, who is this? And Hashem says, this is a man, his name is David, David. And he is David HaMelech, but he doesn't have any life. So Adam Arishan says, feels really bad, says, can I maybe contribute some life to him? So Adam Arishan goes and contributed life he says, I'm going to donate 70 years of my life to this, to this baby. Now, I, this is still before the sin. So Adam Arishan is thinking that he's living for all of eternity. So 70 years for sure is not too much, right? From, from eternal life, right? How do you subtract from eternity? I'm not exactly sure how that works. But he says he's going to give him 70 years. In the end, it turns out that Adam Arishan, only because of his sin, was supposed to live 1,000 years. So you subtract 70. Adam Arishan didn't live to 1,000 years. He lived... He lived only till, um, till 930. You see, Hashem told Adam Arishan, if you eat from the tree, you're going to die. The day you eat from it, you're going to die. Now, Adam didn't die that day. But by God, a day is a thousand years. We say that in Davening. So therefore, Hashem gave him a day on God's, from, from Hashem's life. And that is on God's sense of time, which is a thousand years is one day. So he was supposed to live a thousand years, but then in the end he lived only 930 because 70 years was put in from his account into David HaMelech's account. And King David lived to his 70th birthday, and then he died. Now, um, uh, others say, the Zohar says, that, uh, that King David, has, the Zohar has a different calculation, or where David HaMelech received his life. Not from Adam, but according to the Zohar, David HaMelech received his life, there was a fundraiser. They made a fundraiser for life for King David because he didn't have any life on his own. They made some kind of like one of those charity campaigns, 24-hour campaign. And people were donating years. And Avram Avinu was the first one to donate. Avram was lived to 175 years old. That's what the Torah says. But in essence, Avram was really supposed to live to 180, like his son Yitzchak. The fact that he only lived to 175 because he deducted five years of his life and he gave it to, to David HaMelech. So that's five years in David HaMelech's account. Now Yaakov Avinu, uh, there is a reason why Yitzchak didn't donate. And it wasn't a problem. Yitzchak lived the longest and he didn't donate any life. And it's actually good that Yitzchak didn't donate any life. We don't want David HaMelech to receive life from Yitzchak because David is a king and if he's going to receive life from Yitzchak, he's going to be a very harsh king. Because Yitzchak represents gevura and harshness. 
And a king has enough harshness to him, because that's what it means to rule with power and with might. So we don't want to receive life from Yitzchak. So Yitzchak was told, thanks, but no thanks. We're not accepting any donation of years from you. Um, so the next one to, to donate life was the energy of compassion. And that was Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov is Rachamim, compassion. So kindness donated life. Avram is kindness. Yitzchak, I'm sorry, Yaakov, who is compassion, also donated life. And now the king that's going to be destined to be king, David HaMelech, is both a kind and compassionate ruler. Because his very life was given to him from the essence of compassion, from Yaakov. How much did Yaakov give? Well, Yaakov was supposed to live the same like his grandfather to 175. Not to 180, to 175, like Avram. Because once Avram's life was changed to 175, Yaakov was supposed to live to 175 like Avram. In the end, he lived only to 147. So if you do 175 minus 147, I'm not going to, it's late at night, I'm not going to make you crazy, it's 28. So Yaakov contributed 28 years into David HaMelech's account. Okay, so now David HaMelech has 33 years. Now he still has to find some more 37 years that he's still lacking. Well, Yosef HaTzadik, who was supposed to live, Joseph, was supposed to live to his father's age, which is 147. In the end, he only lived to 110. He's lacking 37 years. So the last 37 years was deposited in King David's account. From who? From Yosef HaTzadik. So now, David HaMelech doesn't have any of his own life. Either, according to the Gemara, he receives all the 70 from Adam Arishon, or according to the Zohar, he has like little, little pieces of life, years. His years are collected from, from everyone else, and that's how he lives his life. Which is really, really a strange thing, I mean, out of all. I mean, why was he... I mean, obviously God was intending to have him in the world. That's why he shows Adam Arishon that he is the leader of the generation. But yet, he's lifeless. He can't live. So what's God thinking? Is he supposed to live? Is he not supposed to live? Why does he need to receive his life from, from, from someone else? So we hear, to understand this, we have to get a little bit more Kabbalistic, a little spiritual, a little bit deeper. And understanding that David HaMelech represents what's called the attribute of kingship. He is the king. So he represents kingship. And we know in, in Kabbalah and in Hasidus all the time, we say that the attribute of kingship is the last attribute of all ten sefirot. There's ten attributes. And the last of all ten attributes is called Tzvira Samalchus. And Tzvira Samalchus, the attribute of kingship doesn't have any energy of its own. It needs to receive the energy from the other attributes. It's lacking a, a, a power to live. It's lacking life. Like, and it's compared to the moon. We know that when we do Kiddush Lavana once a month, we speak about King David. We say, David Melech Yisrael Chai Vekayam. We speak about King David. Uvikshu as David Malcolm, because David Amelech is intrinsically bound up with the moon. Because he's the idea of Malchus, the moon represents Malchus and the like. So we look at the moon. The moon doesn't have any shine, doesn't have any light. She receives the light from the sun, and then she reflects that light that she received from the sun onto the earth. In the words of the Zohar, it's less la megar me megar klum. She doesn't have anything of her own. She's just a receiver. She's a makabel. She's a receiver. She has no life force of her own. So just like um, the moon and the attribute of kingship, the divine attribute of kingship 
doesn't have any intrinsic power to exist, self-sufficient kind of life, but is dependent on receiving that energy from outside herself, so to David HaMelech didn't have any life. But let's understand that just a little bit deeper. Why is it? I mean, it's a divine attribute. How can a divine attribute be kind of a dead attribute? If it's, if it's attributes of God, then inherently it's alive. Because Hashem is alive. And His attributes are alive. So why is it that out of all attributes, this doesn't have any life? And the answer is just twofold. Which are really one idea, but they're twofold. And number one is like this. On a simpler level... Malchus, the attribute of Malchus is really, really what we might say is the battery of creation. It's the soul of creation. All the other attributes of God are about God. Something about Him. God is kind. God is wise. God is compassionate. God is, 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 is mighty and powerful. These are all attributes descriptive of Hashem. It's, tr- it's true that Hashem Himself is beyond all attributes, but yet... He appears and he shows himself in order to have a relationship with others through these attributes. But these attributes are reflecting who he is. He's presenting himself. So it's about him. He is alive. Malchus is not about him. Malchus is about the worlds that he's creating. Because the whole idea of the attribute of Malchus is to be a king over someone else. So even though it's his kingship, he is being the king But the notion of kingship doesn't exist unless there's someone else to be a king over. And the reason why Hashem even begins to emanate this attribute is only that this attribute should serve as the life force of creation. So in a sense we can say, Malchus is the the creation while it's still existing in God. It's, It's because the content of Malchus is creation, but it's the divine energy for creation. But it's about creation. Now, creation doesn't have any life. Worlds don't have any life. God has life. The world doesn't have any life. The world is anything that's other than God doesn't have any life. The world is created to be other than Hashem. So therefore, Malchus is about detachment and being something other. That state doesn't have any life. And it must receive life from higher. Take that just with one deeper, deeper, deeper idea. The idea of, of, of life comes from Atem Hadvekim Bashem Elokechem, from being completely Davuk, from being completely attached and one with Hashem. That's where there is life. That's why in the Hasidus it says, the essence of life is Bittel. Bittel means when you have no, no substance of self being, you're just plugged, you're just unified and completely one with the power of Hashem, who is the life source of, 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 of the, the, the ultimate source of all, of all life. That's why we know that the attribute that's the most alive, that's the most, uh, that has, is Chachma, the first of the ten Sefirot, because Chachma is called Koach Ma, the power of Bittel, the power of complete self-effacement. There is no self in Chachma, it's just total Bittel, and that's why Chachma is Chachma tichya, Chachma gives life. And there's another pasuk that says, Yamusu, they will die of Chachma and not with Chachma. Where there is a flow and there's no ego, let me put it just in simple words. Where there is a flow of, of there is, obviously all life comes from God. Or let's put it this way. God is alive. He is, and therefore he's life. Where Hashem invests himself, that entity will also come alive. 
So all the other spherot, even though they too are not God in essence, it's Hashem investing Himself in them. But the reason why they are called alive is because they are completely egoless. The attributes have no self. They are just totally one of Hashem. For example, kindness is not an entity of kindness. It's Hashem's kindness. There's no, there's no ego to that kindness. Malchus has a little bit of ego. The reason why Malchus has ego is because Malchus is creating worlds, which worlds, the definition of a world is somebody who has an ego, who has a sense of self other than God, and that entity, will, Hashem can be in a relationship with him, Hashem can serve him, and Hashem is asking that being to surrender its ego. Okay? So since Malchus is here to create a world which a world does take itself a little bit seriously, or else it wouldn't be a world. It would just dissolve back into Hashem. The world has to have a sense of self in order to be something other than God. What gives the world that sense of self? The attribute of Malchus. Malchus lends the world an importance, a sense of self. Where there is ego, there is no life. Because where there is you, okay, you. So, which means, it's not me. If it's not me, how are we supposed to live if it's not God? God is life. So once there is self, that's why self-consciousness and self-awareness is death. We're the, the moment we are, that's what we see by Adam Arishon, the moment he disconnected and Chava in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, disconnected from God's will, and they started saying, I want, I sense, I feel, I need, I, it smells good this, I, I, and it's not nullified to Hashem. They started feeling themselves. That's when death came upon them, and they eventually died. Because that's real death happens where there is where there is a, a where there is ego where there is a self a self other than Hashem. Malchus is the source of this worldly beingness, so therefore Malchus doesn't have any life. And who has to give life into Malchus? It's either Adam, because Adam Adam, in essence, he's the power of Chachma. He lost it when he ate from the eight sadas, but in essence his neshama is the power of chachma. And chachma is totally bottle. That's why he can contribute life to, to David HaMelech, to Malchus. Or, as we said before, it's coming from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Okay, so that's the idea. Why David HaMelech, Malchus, is lacking life. And David HaMelech needs to receive it from the higher-ups, from the higher attributes and the like. But here there's an amazing thing. In Tehillim we find... There is a chapter in Tehillim, uh, chapter 21, where King David is speaking about his great, 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 a lot of times great, great grandson. He's talking about his grandson, Moshiach. Moshiach, who is the great, great grandson of King David, the descendant of David, is, has the, also the same dilemma like King David. That Moshiach, being that Moshiach is also the encapsulator of... Mashiach is the ultimate realization of the Davidic kingdom, of David HaMelech. So Mashiach also encapsulates Malchus, the moon. Actually, when we make the Kiddush Levana, we're looking at the moon and we're saying, just like the moon fluctuates and it, the moon comes to light and then it loses its light and it, it comes back again. So too, we know that the Davidic kingdom, Mashiach, that the ultimate kingdom of David HaMelech, even though it waned and it disappeared... It's going to wax again. It's going to come back again. It's going to be a full moon when Mashiach comes. So Mashiach is also Malchus. It's also the... the, the now, so Mashiach has the same problem. He's also lifeless. And that's why Mashiach 
needs to receive his life has to make an effort, so to speak, to receive his life. Because he's not naturally alive. Mashiach is therefore also called Bar-Nafli. Bar-Nafli means the fallen one. The one that is, is like a Nephil. A Nephil is a stillborn be a child. A child that is born without life. So Mashiach is called the Bar-Nafli a, a, because he too doesn't have any life. Where does Mashiach receive his life? So King David says in, in Perik, in Tehillim, Lamed Aleph, Lam Natseach Mizmar LeDavid, for the conductor, a song by David, Hashem Ba'ascha, Hashem with your, with your strength, Yismach Melech, the king will rejoice. Ubishiyascha, and with your salvation, Ma Yogel Ma'oid, how elated and how he will, he exults, he's so excited with your, with your salvation. And then he continues, you've given him the, the longing of his heart. You've given, you put on his head, Tashas Laroisha, you've placed on his head, Ateres Puz, a crown of gold. And then it says like this, Chayim Sha'al Mimcha, life he asked from you, Nasataloi you have given to him. Oirech Yamim, longevity, long life, Oilam Void forever and ever. So it, here it says an interesting that Moshiach is pleading for life. But where is he turning to? Where is Mashiach going to receive his life? Chaim Shal, he's requesting life, but he's not requesting it from the various different ancestry, from Adam, from Avram, from Yitzhak and Yaakov, from whoever, all these big tzaddikim. Mashiach is going directly to God. Chaim Shal, Memcha, life he's requesting from you. Nasat Allah, you have given it to him. So it says, what's the explanation? That Mashiach is also a lifeless being. He has no life on his own, but his life is coming from the God Himself, which means, what does it mean, God Himself? God Himself means the Ein Sof. Hashem, as He is infinite and endless and boundless. So what's the And Hashem will, and it says, Nopasik, Nosatalo, you have given it to Him. That means that Mashiach. There is a state in Mashiach where there's a lack of life. And that state, and then God comes and gives him life. But obviously there's a very, very big difference. Mashiach's life, before he receives infinite life, receives, receives a special life, is human life. But when Mashiach receives God's life, what we're talking about over here, Nasatalo, you have given it to him, the uniqueness of the life that Mashiach is receiving is ain so flight life because he's plugging into an infinite source. David Melech is receiving life to be a king, but his source and where he's receiving life is from the heart, from from in, in the physical story are from human beings, great human beings, big tzaddikim, powerhouses of life, but yet limited. Because they're humans. But Mashiach is plugging in directly into God, so his life is going to be infinite and endless. Now let's understand something. It's not only Mashiach that we're talking about. It means as follows. When Mashiach will receive that, when Mashiach will plug in to that infinite life source, and he himself will receive infinite life, that means that the Shekhinah, which is Mashiach and the Shekhinah is one thing. 
the Shekhinah, the life force of the world. As we spoke earlier, King David, the Davidic kingdom, represents the attribute of Malchus, which is the energy of creation. So until Mashiach comes, the energy of creation is coming from finite sources. Within God, from finite, limited sources. When Mashiach comes, the energy of creation is going to be coming, the energy to Mashiach, who is the soul of the world. So the energy of Mashiach is going to be coming from God himself, from the Ein Sof, from the Abishter himself, from the Ein Sof. And therefore, what is that going to translate? That the world, that we, all of humanity, all of the world, we're going to live with Chayim Nitzchim, with eternal life. Because we are plugged into Mashiach's Neshama. He's receiving life, he's receiving infinite life, as opposed to finite life. To understand this a little better, when we said earlier that Adam Arishon is giving life to David HaMelech, or, or Avram, or Yosef, or Yaakov, all these people that are giving, as we explained it before, it really means in the deeper sense, it doesn't mean these physical people. It means their spiritual source above. Avram's spiritual source is divine attribute of chesed. Yitzchak's spiritual source is divine attribute of gevura and so on and so forth. Yaakov is teferes. Yosef is yesod. And we're saying like this, all these attributes, they're the, they're the attributes that precede the attribute of Malchus. So their energy flow is flowing into Malchus. Malchus is the final recipient. Malchus is like the bowl at the bottom that's receiving from all these rivers Sometimes we learned in, in earlier classes that the attribute of Malchus is like an ocean, like a sea. And it's like just like the sea is receiving the water from where? The sea is just like this huge, big bowl. Where is the water coming from? It's coming from all the rivers that are flowing into the oceans. That are, I'm not saying all the ocean water is coming from the rivers, but the rivers are giving a lot of water into the oceans because all the rivers, the same is also with attribute of Malchus. It's receiving its energy. It's this big, big cup. It's receiving the energy from higher and then it's contributing it lower. But it's receiving from who? It's receiving from the attributes. Why does Hashem make attributes? What's the idea of attributes? I mean, there's God. Why are there attributes? What's the significance of attributes? The idea of attributes is as follows. Being that Hashem is Ein Sof, being that God is boundless and infinite, if we try plugging the world into an infinite source, kaputo, finito, there is no world. Because the world will be overwhelmed by an infinite blast of endless energy and we will all blow a fuse. We couldn't possibly be who we are in our limited selves in the, if we're receiving a boundless energy. So therefore, in order to mitigate, in order to control, in order to limit that infinite power, Hashem uses what's called attributes, and those attributes f- serve as funnels. It's like when you want to you know, fill something up from a huge source, you, you bring a, small, a funnel, and that funnel is wider on one end, and then it gets narrower, and from the narrow spout, as it gets narrow, you can fill it in, you can pour it into, you ever take gasoline and you, you ever ran out of gas and uh, your car and you need to go get a bucket of gas? Everybody has that once or twice. Because there's always a point where you one time you want to test how long you can be on empty, right? And then you, and then you have to get, somehow go get, and, they, and they'll come and they'll bring a bucket and then they'll put that little spout, that funnel, and through the funnel they'll pour the gas into the car. So that's what the spheros are. It's just a funnel. It's a funnel to take boundless and infinite energy and mitigate it, make it small, to come into Malchus, which is the creation, 
as we said before, Malchus is the soul of the creation, and that Malchus can receive it. The worlds can receive that, 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 that. It's all coming from Hashem, but it's coming through these more finite spouts, faucets, or the like. That is when energy is coming from when? Through the attributes. But as a result of all of our Torah and all of our mitzvot that we've done within the world for thousands of years, we have increased our capacity. The creation has increased its capacity to become far, far stronger and greater, to become exponentially. We've expanded our, our, our ability to receive infinite because we've taken godly nutrients. Every mitzvah, we're assimilating Hashem into us. And one day we wake up and we are infinite beings. We are, we're one with God because we've, through every mitzvah we assimilate Hashem's identity into ourselves. God is infinite, we're infinite. So a hand that gives tzedakah will one day when Mashiach comes, have that hand will have the ability to have an infinite energy flow in it, not be living on a small increment of life, but to be able to leave its energy, our energy, our, now, now we're always walking around exhausted, we're always tired. When Mashiach is going to come, we're all going to be bubbly, like really bubbling with life. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little worried with some people, right? But we want life, but then everybody's going to be like unbelievable, right? So the bubbly, I'm not going to say we're all hyper when Mashiach comes, but in some degree hyper in a really good way, because you realize we're going to be living not with a, 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 a narrow flow of energy. We're living with this energy that doesn't deplete. Today we deplete. Why do we deplete? Because every morning we replenish our life and we deplete through the day, and then we have to get new life and reframe, we deplete again. And by the time we hit the pillow, like we're like gone. There's nothing left. We constantly need to re- regenerate life over and over again because from the very beginning, we only have a small measure of life. The reason why we all have a small measure of life and we get tired is because the Shekhinah, the source of all of creation, is also receiving from the higher up, from the spherot, which are measured, small little deposits of life. As we said before, Avram deposited five years, Yaakov deposited 28 years, Yosef deposited 37 years. Even Adam are shown 70 years. It's increments, it's small deposits of life given to David HaMelech. Consequently, it means us, because David is our real energy. That's why the real human span today is 70 years, in concept. Thank God the Ebishter has given us today's days the ability to live much longer. But a full life was always called in Tehillim 70 years. We can live Baruch Hashem. Oh, when Mashiach comes, what's going to be the term of a human life? Eternity. For all, of, for all time. Why? Because our source is going to be plugged in to the Ein Sof, to Hashem Himself, who is boundless, infinite, and, 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 and forever and ever. So life is going to be without an end. So we also find, I'll share with you something really, really amazing. I said before that Malchus is called a cup. Because it receives, it's a, it's a vessel, it's a container it receives, and then it, it gives. That's called Kois Shel Bracha. The cup that we use by benching is called koishel brach. So for instance, the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to give out every matzah shab, every matzah yomtif. It was a very, very special, powerful time. I myself received, went on that line a few times. I merited to go on that line and receive from his holy cup a little bit of wine. And it was a big, special time, koishel brach. So what's the nikud of that? What's the point of giving? And b'chlal, we know, every time someone benches, it's an Indian to drink from that wine. If you're bench with a kais, to drink with that wine. So what's the nekuda? What's the deeper idea of that? The deeper idea of that is because the kais is malchus. 
It's the, it's, it's the, it's the, because Malchus is called, now by the way, let me give you a gematria. Fascinating. The word kais is gematria 86. Chaf is 20, Samach is 60, and Vav is 6. So you got 86. The name of God, Elohim, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem, is also 86. Because the name, that name of Hashem, Elohim, is associated with the attribute of Malchus. So these things are not random. Elohim is kois, because Malchus is a cup. A cup doesn't have anything unless you put content into it. I'll tell you something else. We were saying the whole time that Malchus is the world. Well, kois, which is 86, is also gamatria ha-teva, nature. What's the world? A certain natural system that God created. Hateva. So creation, which is Hateva, is, is, is its source is this cup. And from that cup, we receive. That's why a Rebbe, a Tzaddik, especially the, it's an interesting thing just to, to note, the Rebbe was the seventh Rebbe amongst a series of big Tzaddikim. Seven Rebbes. So being that he's the seventh, and Hasidim have always said that the seven Rebbeim, seven Tzaddikim, each one corresponded to another one of the attributes. So then the seventh one corresponds to the attribute of Malchus, of kingship. And Malchus doesn't have any life of its own. It receives it from all the others. That's why you find something very unique in all the Hasidic discourses that you see by all the Chabad Rabbeim. Fascinating idea. If you look at all the early Chabad Rabbeim and you see their discourses, they don't quote from any earlier ups. They say their own mimer. You look at the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash. He gives a discourse, deep Hasidic ideas, even though the ideas are all to be found already in his father's and grandfather's teachings and great-grandfather, he doesn't quote them. But if you'll ever look at any of the last Lubavitcher Rebbe's mimers, his, his discourses, in every discourse, he's quoting, and my grandfather said so-and-so, and my great-grandfather said so-and-so. From his first famous monumental discourse called Basi Lagani, I've Come to the Garden, every time he's quoting and quoting and quoting it. Why? Because that's the attribute of Malchus. It doesn't have anything of its own. It's receiving from all of them, and he's passing it on to us. That's why from all the Chabad Rabbeim, he was the only one who used to distribute it Kaishal Bracha. It was a unique phenomenon. You didn't see it by the earlier Chabad Rabbi. They should pour from their cup. Why? Because his cup, that's the cup of life, in a sense of being a leader, the leader of the generation, his cup is that flow of energy into his neshama. And from his neshama, he's pouring to everybody. There's tremendous blessings. But when Mashiach will come, it says in the Gemara, that there's going to be a big party when Mashiach will come. A big, we're going to celebrate after Tchias HaMesim, a big party. And at their party, they're going to shech the Shoy Rabor, a big ox. And a Leviathan, a big fish. Everything at that party is big. A big party, a huge big fish, a huge big ox. And a big benching cup, Kiddush cup, benching cup. It says, the Gemara says, that the cup that they're going to use for Birkas HaMazon, uh, when Mashiach comes, it contains... 221 lug. 221 lug. Lug is a measure, uh, maybe a gallon. I don't know exactly what the size of a lug, but it's a lot. And his cup is going to hold to us. We're talking about a super mega cup. It's going to be a, and And it says in the Gemara that they're going to pass that cup around to honor benching. You know, we have, we have oh, <laughs> you realize, you know, you're, uh, I'm going to make a bris soon. Um, it seems not to be on time. Uh, we thought we'll have a bris tomorrow, but... Uh, not happening, uh, but um, but what I'm thinking, you know, in my head, what's what's cooking in my head? Who am I going to honor with this? Who am I going to honor with that? You know, you got kibudim. Imagine after Mashiach comes, all the tzaddikim of all the generations are coming. All the ra- everybody's there. 
you have a really big problem over here with the organizers of this event. Who are you going to honor with key keyboard of this? <laughs> so listen here. Obviously, we have a keyboard. We only have one benching. You can't give it. It's not Sheva Brachas. There's no Sheva Brachas. At least Sheva Brachas, you have seven to give. You only have one Bracha over here, benching. Who are you going to give it to? So when you go to Zaydi Avram, when you go to Avram Avinu, after all, he's the father of everybody. Give him the benching. He's going to decline. He's going to pass it to Yitzchak. Yitzchak is going to decline. The Gemara gives a whole system. Finally, David Amelech is the only one who's not going to decline. He's right away going to grab the cup. It's almost like the cup and him like go together. Why? Because he's the seventh. He is the cup. He's the koishel bracha. So he says, "Li no levarech." To me, it's to me, it's fitting to bench. But it says he's going to pick up this huge cup. And when we say David Amelech, we really mean Mashiach, because David Amelech and Mashiach is really one Hashem. So Mashiach Tzitkenu is going to one who's going to be the one benching on this big cup. And what does it say? Two hundred and twenty-one lug. The Gemara playing around. Where do we take the number two twenty-one? Because in chapter twenty-three in, in Psalms, David Melech says, "Koisi revaya, my cup is full. Koisi revaya, my cup is full. I have a full cup." So the sages say the word revaya is gematria resh vav yud hey. The Gemara says, "You see." People think that gematria sometimes are Hasidic little cute things. The Gemara says, Ravaya is gematria 221. Resh is 200. Vav is 6. Yud and He is 15. 206 plus 15, 221. You hear this? 221. Here we see that Davna Melech's cup is 221. Do you understand that the Talmud is full of the deepest secrets? Who cares? 220. And if it would be 222, anybody would mind? And if it would be 220, what's the significance of a cup containing 221? The answer is, that the word 221 is gematria, also another word called erech. 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 Aleph reish chaf is 221. Erech. And anybody that has touched a little bit Kabbalistic writings knows that there is something called erech anpin, the long face, and there's something called ze'er anpin, the small face. It's talking about the divine attributes. So there's something called ze'er anpin, small face, and Erechampin means the long face. What's the difference between, and I don't, I'm always telling people, I'm giving classes, I'm teaching all these Kabbalistic ideas, an average woman driving carpool is suddenly becoming a Kabbalist. Like, what are you, crazy Rabbi Wolf? Can you talk something a little bit simpler? Can you talk a little bit more, tell us stories and things like this that are, why are we talking about Erechampin and Zerampin? The answer is, my dear friends, you've got to learn the lingo. This is going to be Mashiach's lingo. We're going to talk. We're going to live. We're going to be speaking these things. We're talking about Mashiach. We're all going to be Kabbalists. We're going to be prophets and Kabbalists. We need to begin knowing. We're entering in the information age. The ultimate age of enlightenment. We're going to be living in a realms of divinity. We're going to be living. So you have to get used to these words. So what's Erech Anpin? And that's what women are going to speak to each other as they're shopping. That this is the conversation. Erechampin's Erechampin, unity. You heard what happened today. You know which attributes combined. There was a connection of the das, the tvun of this. That's the news. That's what we read in the newspapers. So let's get a little familiar with the ideas. Erechampin and Zeerampin. Zeerampin means the entire sphere. Now I'm giving a loose translation. You know, it means can mean something more specific. But in general, all the spherot, all the attributes, from Chachma until Yesod, all the nine attributes, besides Malchus, Malchus is the cup, is the recipient. All the seven, all the nine spouts that we said earlier are the spouts, they're called the air ampin, the small face. Why are they called the small face? Because God, it's really Hashem, but it's Hashem mitigating himself, making him tiny and small. It's Hashem making himself miniature so he can talk to his miniature little people. Being that we're miniature, so Hashem miniaturizes himself that we should be able to talk to him. That's what Ze'er Anpin means, a small face. 
What is Erech Anpin? Erech Anpin means a ginormous face. Erech means God's, God before He contracts into the attributes. So in Kabbalah, Erech Anpin is associated with the level of Keter. Keter means the crown. The crown is above the head, the infinite, the boundless. And that's called Erech Anpin. Erech! 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 What's Erech? 221. Do you follow what's happening over here? So what are we saying? The cup that we use now is a small cup. Why? Because the cup, Malchus, it's receiving today only from these narrow channels, finite life. So we exist also, we live also finite life. When Mashiach will come, Malchus is going to plug directly into God, directly into the Ein Sof, into the one who's boundless, infinite and endless, and all that energy is going to flow into his neshama, he's going to live forever, and through him all of us are going to live forever, because he's going to take his koishel bracha, Mashiach tzitkenu, and he's going to pour into all of our cups of that infinite light. That's the meaning of 221, because he's receiving from the 221 dimension, from the Ein Sof, even though 221 is also a finite number, but it represents the gematria, a level that's infinite and boundless. And from there, Mashiach tzitkenu, will give us all life and we will live in for all of eternity. That's the Koiz Godol, that's the big cup. Ooh, once we understand this, and that's what King David is saying, Chaim Shalom, my great-grandson is not like me, he's not receiving the energy from me, he's going directly to you, God, he's plugging in, not to the attributes. Malchus then is going to be plugged in. It's interesting, Malchus has a special connection to Keser. Malchus is the last of the ten Sephirot, Keser is the first of the ten attributes. But Malchus and Keser are related. Why? Because who wears a crown? The king. The melech ends up wearing the crown. So Keser and Malchus are joined. But that's only when Mashiach will come, when Malchus and Keser will join together. Malchus is going to bypass all the spherot. That's why we also know that when Mashiach will come, what does it say about the, about the moon? The moon is going to be just as large as the sun. And it's going to have her own light. After Mashiach comes. The light of the moon is going to be as bright as the light of the moon. That means that the cup is going to be much bigger. The cup of life. The bowl of life. Now maybe we should have in mind. I think we should have in mind. I'm just my own suggestion. I haven't seen it anywhere. Maybe when you say, Remember me for life. Maybe we can have in mind. Maybe we, maybe we can say to Hashem. Maybe you know, we want real life. We want life. We want eternal life. Nah, no more. Well, it was good. It was good for 5,777 years. It was good, a little life. Coming from the spout. We don't want from the spout. We want from you, God. And therefore, we want, just, we want to live your life. We're your wife. We're yours. We're one with you. So we should, like Rabbi Taub spoke yesterday, like we're the rib. We're, the, we're, we're just the other half of God. Shouldn't we live like God lives for all of eternity? Let's give me one of so now we'll also understand an amazing thing. Now we understand. So when now you can already figure it out. Why today's days we blow with a little shofar, and when Mashiach comes, blow with a big shofar. Says the Alter Rebbe. Says the Holy Balatanya. What is the meaning of a shofar gadol? What do we do with the shofar? The cup. The cup. Shofar is a. Before we spoke about the cup, the cup is the receiving energy. But what's the instrument through which we draw energy into that cup? Where does the energy flow go into the cup? We said before from the other attributes. But when do we really, really give Malchus a true deposit of life? So we know, 
Here's an amazing thing. That when does Hashem decree life for the entire year? We just mentioned, Zohreinu Lechayim. We don't ask for, we ask for life every day, but not so explicit. Where do we really, really ask for life? On Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we ask Hashem for life, for parnasa, for livelihood, for, for all the things we need, we ask Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. Because we know God decrees life for, uh, for us. Everything we receive during the year, we receive on Rosh Hashanah. The Kabbalists, the mystics, the Hasidic masters teach us, what does that really mean? It really means that we said before that Malchus is lifeless, she doesn't have life on her own. On Rosh Hashanah, we, bring, we breathe life into Malchus. The Shechina Malchus, the attribute of kingship, God, so to speak, withdraws from his desire to be a king over the world. So the attribute of kingship becomes lifeless on Erev Rosh Hashanah. It like, doesn't have any energy to it. And when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, Hashem reinvests Himself in the relationship, in being a king. He fills Malchus, He fills the Shekhinah full of life. How does God do that? How do we evoke the Hashem, the Ein Sof, to give life into the Shekhinah, into Malchus? It is evoked through the Shofar. The Shofar that we blow on Rosh Hashanah is what reaches Hashem as when our God is in that withdrawn state, Almost like he says, I'm beyond the relationship now. I'm happy being alone. I don't need a wife. I'm happy. I'm separating. I'm being alone. I'm high there up in heaven. And we come knocking on the window and say, no, 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 you're coming home. And he says, I don't want that. I'm not coming. We say, no, you're coming home. You're coming back to the house. We want Hashem back home. Back with us. Because we know this is his ultimate home. He can't play around with us and say, I'm I'm not coming home anymore. I don't want you anymore. I don't need you anymore. We say to him, but we need you. And we know you need us. So that we do that through the shofar. The shofar is the form of communication. When words don't work, because we're dealing with God as he is. We discussed this in other classes. I'm not going to go through it again. When we can't communicate with words, we're communicating with pure soul cry. Soul to soul, heart to heart, the essence to essence. We cry out through the shofar, and from the shofar we evoke Hashem to do what? To re-engage the creation. But what does it mean to re-engage the creation? To reinvest himself in the attribute of Malchus. Because to be a king again. That means to fill Malchus again with life. Oh, But today's days, can we handle infinite life? I mean, yes, today, because we've already done all the mitzvahs already. But I'm talking about yesterday. All of history, the worlds were not able to handle infinite life. So even when we blew shofar and we evoke we evoke Hashem Himself. Shofar always touches the essence of God. That Hashem should want to continue His relationship with us. Shofar always does it. But when Hashem responds, how does He give us life? We spoke earlier. He takes out all the attributes. He uses the funnels. Because without the funnels, we couldn't handle it. So where is the life coming from? All year long, where is it coming from? It's coming through what? Through the attributes even though it's coming from Hashem Himself, but it's coming through His attributes. And what do the attributes do to it? We spoke earlier. It minimizes it. That's why the shofar, here this Gavaldiga teaching, that's why the shofar that we blow on Rosh Hashanah is a tefach. A tefach is a hand breath. Why? The hand, we have ten fingers on our hands, and the ten fingers represent the ten sefirot. Because the life force of God and Rosh Hashanah to the world, it, the reason it has to be a tefach is because it has to be, it has to inc- include the fingers. Now why doesn't it have to be two tefachim, right and left? Because in Rosh Hashanah we're really drawing down energy only from one side. 
And then on, on, on Sukkot, we're drawing that energy from the other side. Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot are really all part, all the holidays of Tishrei are all one entity of building the Shekhinah, building Malchus. On Rosh Hashanah, God is giving life through his left hand. And on Sukkot, Hashem is giving life through his right hand. That's why into the Shekhinah, into Malchus. That's the reason why um, um, it says in the Pasuk, Smoiloi tachas l'roishi, his left hand is under my head, referring to Rosh Hashanah. The Yeminoi and his right hand, Techapkeni embraces me, is referring to Sukkot when God's right hand is holding on to us. That means that on Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, all this hope and Yom Kippur, in all this time, we're pumping energy into the Shekhinah, into Malchus, into the world, and each one with a different hand. That's why an interesting thing. That the Gemara says that there are three, four, five mitzvahs that are measured by tefachim. Five mitzvahs that are that we use. What measurement do we use to measure how much we need? Five mitzvahs. What are they? Shofar. We measure by a tefach. Lulav. Sukkah mitzvah. We measure by tefachim because a lulav has to be, I think, three or four tefachim. I think a lulav. They'll look it up. Minimum of four tefach. A a sukkah wall is also measured by tefachim. The amount of the wall has to be at least minimum seven, seven. And then the Gemara says another two mitzvahs, but at least three of them are, are, are mitzvahs in the month of Tishrei. Why? Because this entire time we are, we are receiving the life flow into Malchus coming through what? Coming through the spherot, coming through the attributes. So the tefach is very important. The tefach plays a role because these are the fingers in God's hands through where Hashem is giving life. As it says in Migdash Hashem, yadecha, your hands have constructed it. Hashem's hands have created the world. Afyamini Shamayim. That Hashem creates the world with his hands. Fine. There's a pasuk over here in Perek Lametes and Tehillim. There's a pasuk. Listen to what King David says. David HaMelech says, this is David HaMelech speaking, what does he say? Behold, hand breaths you have given my days. What does it mean, you have given my days hand breaths? Simply it means I live a very short life. Compared to you God, you go on, you go on forever and ever. I'm living hand breaths. I'm living tiny little, 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 little years, little bit of life. What's the deeper meaning? Why is David HaMelech saying my life is coming, is tefachos, is hand breaths? What he's really saying is, David HaMelech says, I literally receive my life through the tefach of the shofar. Shofar is my lifesaver. King David says, without a shofar, I'm dead. The shofar, which is a hand breath, gives me life. The lulav, which is also a, a hand breath, three hand breaths, or four hand breaths, that gives me life. The sukkah, that's also measured by hand breaths, give me life. Hine tefachos, behold a tefach, nosato yoma, you have given my days. So today's days, we don't blow with a large shofar. Today's days, we blow with a mini shofar. How big is a mini shofar? A tefach. That's what we mean, a small shofar. It means that the energy flow into creation is a limited one. Because it's coming through the, it's coming through the tefach. But when Mashiach will come, tka, blow, b'shoifar gadol, blow with a large shofar, because energy is going to flow into the world directly from the Ein Sof, from Erech Anpin. And that's why David HaMelech says, what kind of life will Mashiach receive? Oirech yamim olam vo'ed. Long life, forever and ever. Because he's plugging in directly. So Mashiach Shofar is going to be a Shofar Gadol.
Now when that sound of the shofar is going to blow, that sound of the shofar is going to be so powerful and so strong. We know that a shofar is an awakening. Shofar is an awakening. Every shofar is an awakening. But we know that our shofar today, since the shofar is, in addition to us, what happens on shofar? On shofar, we use the shofar to evoke, to reach for Hashem to answer us. But as I mentioned earlier in the beginning, I mentioned to you that Hashem also blows on shofar, on Rosh Hashanah. We blow and He blows. On Rosh Hashanah, we communicate not through words, heart to heart. We cry from the deepest part of our soul. God cries back to us and reveals to us His deepest desire, deeper than anything else, to be in a relationship and when we say with us, it's very bad, very bad word. He doesn't want a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with me. He wants a relationship with you, the only person. You're the only one. He wants me, he wants you. And that's the truth. I'm not trying to be inspirational now. That is the truth. God wants to be in, in, in a relationship with you're the only one. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he's conveying it to you from the deepest place of his, of his inner, inner being. And so he, can't even, he doesn't even use words for it because it's not, for an elaborate discussion on this, listen to Rabbi Shea's Taub of last night again in that class, very fantastic class. It's not a rational desire. It's not an intellectual thing which you can translate through words. It's just, it's just a essential desire that he wants this relationship. So when we blow, and it says like this, when we blow shofar, the, the order we blow is tekiah, shvarim, teruah, tekiah. So we first blow a one sound, then we blow a broken sound, two levels of broken, then, God, then we have another tekiah. So in Kabbalah it says, in Hasidus it says, the first three sounds are us reaching out for God. The fourth sound is not us blowing, it's Hashem responding to our cries and Him saying, I want this relationship, I want to give you life. So the third, the fourth sound is Hashem funneling life or channeling life to us, giving us, communicating himself to us. So it comes out from here that every shof, the shofar is a divine revelation. It's Hashem re-entering the universe. It's Hashem coming back, like we say, Rosh Hashanah by night, open up the doors wide, let the king of glory enter. God is entering the world. Hashem is entering the world. When God enters the world, it sends tremors. It causes an awakening. So, this, so the shofar is not only us crying. The shofar is Hashem's, Hashem's, Hashem entering, Hashem, Hashem revealing Himself. That revelation causes everybody to awaken. Shofar, Rosh Hashanah is such a holy day. It's so powerful. Jews flock to shuls, even Jews who don't go to year all long, but they go for the high holidays because something touches their soul. Rosh Hashanah, it's, Hashem is here. There's an awakening. However, it's limited. Not every Jew gets awakened. There are Jews who are so disconnected, they play golf on Rosh Hashanah, whatever, if it's a Sunday, or they're going to be in the workplace. You're going to catch them on the street maybe and blow shofar for them. If you're doing a mitzvah, you want to connect to another Jew. Thousands of Jews who are not going to be in shul, shul, shul on the high holidays, they're not going to hear shofar. It, uh, there's nothing awakening them. The, the power of the day of the high holidays is not shaking, it's not stirring their soul. How can there be, how can it be that there are neshamas, there are souls that have become so disconnected from God that, they, that the, even Rosh Hashanah, the divine revelation, doesn't touch them? 
The answer is because today's shofar is communicating God, but it's communicating God through a tefach, through the ten fingers. It's not communicating God Himself, it's communicating the divine attributes because Hashem is appearing to us through His attributes, like we spoke earlier. It's because the shofar is a small shofar, it's a tefach shofar, therefore the awakening is a small awakening. To who? To those that are sensitive already, a little bit, they just fallen asleep, you just have to give them a little bit of a tap. But someone who's in comatose, someone who's neshama is completely, 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 they're, they're so disconnected from their spiritual side that it has gone almost dead, God forbid, it can't go dead, but almost dead, these people don't hear the sound of the small shofar. They need a shofar gadol, they need a big shofar. But which, how can it be? How can it be that Jews have become so disconnected and so separated? The answer is there are two causes, says the Holy Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe says, there are two causes for a Jew to become disconnected from Hashem Chas V'Shalem. And by the way, we should know we're not only talking about Jews who don't show up to Shul, we're talking even to the Jews who do show up to Shul, and even those who shuckle with the Machser, even all of us ourselves. How come when Rosh Hashanah comes sometimes, we're standing there and standing there, we can't feel anything, we can't feel anything, we can't feel anything. We know it's Rosh Hashanah, I'm supposed to be feeling, I'm supposed to be feeling, but these words feel so dry, they feel so empty, I can't open up my heart. I'm trying, Hashem, please help me, help me, help me find some juice in my soul. I'm not feeling it. We all have that experience. I have it all the time. You try, you want, you want to connect, you want to feel, but the heart is stubborn. And the answer is there are two reasons (coughs) that cause a soul to go dry. One reason (coughs) is because when we become lost in the land of Syria, the word Ashur, Syria, comes from the word good fortune. Ashrei, Yoshrei, Beisecha. Ashrei means fortune. It means the people who have gotten lost in good fortune. How can you get lost in good fortune? Well, when we, God, Hashem has blessed us in the United States of America that we have a lot, a lot, a lot of Gashmias, a lot of physical pleasures and delights. And when we get too in too enmeshed or too involved in our physical pleasures and delights physicality materialism bolsters our ego the more the sense of self the more a, per- a person becomes important in their own eyes the less the less access do they have to spiritual awareness and a, and a connection to God God can only dwell in a humble place physical pleasures good steak good sushi good um, you know Lamborghinis and, and other and, 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 and cruises and even if they're kosher 100% that we indulge and we all have a summer and we've done this and done that I'm talking sin even if there's no sin just super indulgence in the material pleasures of this world a whole lot of pizza doesn't do too, too well for your neshama it just is that way it doesn't even have to be pizza it can be any kind of gluttonous type of indulgence with, done without mindfulness causes the heart to clog vayishman yeshurin vayivat the Jewish people became fattened and they rebelled against God. So that's one type of Jew who's lost his neshama in the world of pleasure. And then there's another kind of Jew whose soul became, he became so disconnected not because of pleasure but because of suffering, because of pain. When you have people that go through, sadly, pain, suffering, loss of, 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 of friends and family, People that go through loneliness, they go through hardship, they go through a lack of livelihood, they go through a whole slew 
of different types of troubles and problems and hard life. These things take a toll on us. They burden the heart. They confuse the mind. You don't have time even to breathe. As it says by Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, the Jewish people didn't listen to Moshe, because of shortness of breath. When we don't have time for a moment to just relax and come to ourselves because all day long we have another bill to pay and other pressures and other pressures and aches and pains and problems with children, problems with relationships, problems with these these things occupy so much space in our in our in our in our hearts, in our psyche, in our hard drive, that there's no space left for any there's no space and room in the heart left for any kind of spiritual connection. Those Jews are called those that are lost in the land of Egypt. Egypt comes from the word Mitzrayim, comes from the word of pain. It's either or. A Jew who is not connected to God, he's gotten lost somewhere. He's gotten lost in overindulgence of fortune, either of good fortune or of bad fortune, meaning he's gotten stuck in a whole lot of problems and in a big mess. That's why he's lost, he's, he's become... He's become indifferent, become apathetic, become cold. A lot of times it can happen from people waiting and hoping and like waiting for a miracle to happen in their lives and so forth and not getting it until they start giving up. I mean, there's so many reasons why our heart can get burnt out, why a person burns out. And that's called Eretz Mitzrayim. But the difference between the two, one of them you can blame a little bit. Those who got lost in the world of good fortune. It's a little bit their own fault who asked them to overdo it on the various different types of decorative sauces you're putting on your schnitzli's uh, chicken nuggets. If you need to dip in 15 different uh, um, sauces, it's great. I love schnitzli's and I love the sauces. That's why I know about it. But I'm saying if we do that all the time, so no one asks you to do that. Then you're complaining you don't feel, you don't feel God or Rosh Hashanah. Well, two days ago, you're sitting in schnitzli's dipping your thing into 20 different sauces. So what do you expect? To suddenly feel God? The Alter Rebbe said to a chassid who explained, who said to the Alter Rebbe, I meditate in davening and I don't feel anything in, the, in my heart. A chassid came into the Alter Rebbe crying. He said, Rebbe, I meditate, I meditate, I meditate. It's not going in. And the Rebbe said, where do you expect it to go in if during the week you eat white bread? I'm sorry, I had to. It's very, 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 very hard for us to, to connect to that. The Rebbe said, you, during the week? Man, I understand Shabbos, you eat white bread. The luxury. But during the week you eat white bread? And then you expect to be able to feel Hashem? So sadly, you know, talk about fast forward 250 years after the Alter Rebbe, with all of our indulgences, and then we complain, I don't feel. How am I supposed to feel? So that's a little bit our own fault. That's why it's called those who got lost in the land of good fortune. Because when your person comes somewhere late for your first appointment, and you say you got lost, not really... Not really that the best for your first interview. You might not get the job. I got lost. Fine. Why did you get lost? Couldn't you look up the directions and make sure to get here? Don't get lost. But the second one is a type of Jew who didn't ask for tsaris. No one asked for pain. No one asked for aggravation. No one asked for this stressful life that sadly we all that we have. So the heart gets burnt out from suffering. That's not our fault. Those that were cast away in the land of Egypt. And that's why our hearts maybe won't wake up to the sound of the shofar. But that's only because it's a regular shofar. It's only the shofar of today. It's a tefah shofar. But it will be on that day. Yitaka will be blown. It will be a revelation. Not of Hashem's attributes. It won't come through the tefah, through the hand. It will be a large shofar. It will be a revelation of God Himself. And when God Himself 
himself is going to reveal himself, no Jewish heart will remain cold. No Jewish heart will remain indifferent. There won't be one person in the world whose heart won't melt. Every single neshama will awaken. And every single Jew will come running and bow down to God. Bowing meaning completely, meaning to experience Hashem so strongly that it completely knocks the, <coughs> knocks the, knocks the wind out of us. We fall on the floor, we're nullified to Him completely because we recognize the greatness of His truth. But we do it on a holy mountain in Jerusalem. Holy mountain means with the epitome of love. And in Jerusalem means with the perfection of fear. Well, to understand that, you can listen to the seventh to the six hour shir. It's not going to be fear. No one is going to start coming to the six hour classes now if I do synopsis in one hour. So therefore, to hear the meaning of that and the significance, go listen, please listen to the, to the longer version of all of this. But the main thing is, for all of us, let us hear the great, great shofar already now. Let us enter into eternal life. It's time already. The time has come. May it be now. Thank you.